In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear friends, today we celebrate the high feast of Christ the King. It's the end of the liturgical year, and we conclude it by declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is Lord and King of our hearts, of our homes, of the entire world. The sacred scriptures are abundant in their wealth of wisdom today. We see in our Old Testament reading the vision of the prophet Daniel, who sees this mysterious son of man sitting at the right hand of the Father. The prophet does not know who this son of man is, since the Holy Trinity had not yet been revealed to humanity at the time of the prophet. Of course, such vision points us to our gospel today. The Son of Man has been revealed to us. Daniel's vision is brought to completion. We see the Son, not in glory next to the Father, but at the beginning of his passion, being questioned by Pontius Pilate. We are shown that God himself has become our long-awaited Savior, and that he has chosen to bring us salvation through suffering. He is not a removed Savior. He is not a Savior of worldly power. He has purposely avoided such things. He comes to us as a man of sorrows, a man of suffering, a man who pitches his tent among the poor and the sick, a man who is comfortable among the vulnerable and the weak. This is our king. This is the one we claim to follow. But do we, dear friends, do we follow this king? Does our life or the decisions of our life or our use of the things of this world show that we truly follow this Son of Man. Our second reading from the book of Revelation shows us the victory of the Son of Man. He is declared as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of all things, including our lives. And so is he, the beginning and the end of our lives? Have we surrendered to him? Have we given him the beginning and the end of all the blessings and the sorrows of our lives? Or are we still trying to control them? figure them out for ourselves, think we can handle them by ourselves, have we surrendered to our King. Today we are called to fully live our lives under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. As his followers, we seek to give Jesus a complete obedience of faith and to loyally follow his most excellent way of love. Admittedly, this is not an easy way. Our way of life has never been claimed to be easy. The Lord loves us and he speaks truth. He told us, if we want to follow him, we must be willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and come after him. The way of the Christian, the way of our king, is truly the way of the cross. In order, therefore, to fully and faithfully live this way of life, we rely on the workings of his grace. Our king never forgets us. He turns to us and graciously bestows his favor upon us, his grace. He calls us to himself. He knows that we are fallen, arrogant, proud, sinful. We cannot do it. And he gives us his very grace in order for us to respond to his invitation. It shows us the love and the kindness of our Savior, the kindness of our King. Such grace was first given to us in baptism. In fact, the baptism we received the highest of graces, called sanctifying grace. Our tradition also calls this deifying grace, since it's the grace that, very, that makes us into the very image of God, the life of God himself comes into our souls through sanctifying grace, deifying grace. This grace was first given to our parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden. It was lost in their rebellion against our Heavenly Father. The human family did not have this grace again until the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
It was restored to us by the saving work of Christ our King and was first made accessible to each of us in the sacrament of baptism. In baptism, dear friends, sanctifying grace regenerated us. It brought us back to life. It gave new life to our souls which were dead. Sanctifying grace transforms us. It makes us every day more and more into the children of God. It invigorates our souls. It is the very presence of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelling within us. It makes us breathing, walking tabernacles of God's presence in the midst of our world today. Yes, dear friends, through sanctifying grace, God dwells within us. This sanctifying grace remains in our souls. It continues to transform us and change us more and more into the likeness of our Father. It is what we mean when we speak in popular jargon of the state of grace. If one is in the state of grace, it means that they still have sanctifying grace in their souls. Regrettably, it is sanctifying grace that dies within us when we rebel against Christ our King and commit grave sin. Hence the term mortal sin, the name given to such grave sin since it kills the very life of God within our souls. God cannot dwell in the midst of grave sin. And mortal sin kills the very life of God within us. Now sanctifying grace can be restored to us by confession. Or in the danger of death, the anointing of the sick. When in the state of grace, the receiving of these sacraments build up and enhance the work of sanctifying grace. Which means if we are outside of the state of grace, if we're in mortal sin, confession and the anointing can bring us back. If we're in the state of grace, then when we receive confession or the anointing, that grace is strengthened in us. Which is why, dear friends, I ask the question. Why do so few of our own not go to confession? Here you have heard today that by confession, the very life of God is nourished and strengthened within you. Nah, I'm busy. I got it. I'm okay. The raw and useless excuses that so many come up with in order not to avail themselves of the grace of that sacrament. Why is it that we have ignored confession, dear friends? Especially when we hear that through this sacrament, the very life of God can be strengthened within us. I think it's time for us all to return to confession. I have encouraged and invited our parish, every member of our parish, to go to confession at least monthly. And to go even more frequently if you are fighting grave sin. But in addition to baptism and the two sacraments of healing, confession and the anointing, we know that the four other sacraments strengthen the life of God within us. To those of you who have been called to the sacrament of holy matrimony, that should fill you with great hope and consolation. That on the day when a baptized man said to a baptized woman and a baptized woman to the baptized man, I give to you the sacrament of the anointing, the sacrament of the holy matrimony, when I give this sacrament to you, God honors that and bestows sanctifying grace. Did you know that? You receive special grace in receiving holy matrimony. The very life of God being strengthened within you that you might be a good and faithful spouse. Again, that shouldn't fill you with great hope. Especially when marriages are struggling or in difficult times. Especially when some are so quick to throw in the towel. To rely on those moments on the grace of God. Also to rely on that grace of God in order to avoid offenses to your marriage. Whether through negligence or marital slander 
or other such offenses. You receive sanctifying grace, a strengthening of sanctifying grace when you receive the sacrament of holy matrimony in order to fulfill your vocation. And the other sacraments as well strengthen us. Strengthen that very life of God within us. Dear friends, as Catholic Christians, as biblical Christians, we see the essential role of the sacraments. They're not optional rites or some rites of passage or things that we happen to do in order to make ourselves feel better. They are the very means in which we encounter the living God and either receive or are strengthened in sanctifying grace, that deifying grace. In particular, I want to speak about the worthy reception of Holy Communion which nourishes and builds up sanctifying grace within us. God is such a great teacher. He literally has us approach and to receive what appears to be bread, that we might eat something in order to remind us that through the reception of Holy Communion, we are literally nourished. Sanctifying grace is nourished within our souls. That we might be strengthened in order to be faithful to our King, in order to be loyal to His most excellent way of love. The reception of Holy Communion is the sacrament specifically given to us in order to feed sanctifying grace in our souls. As such, we should be very attentive to how we live, how we obey Christ our King, and how we receive Him in Holy Communion. Dear friends, if a baptized person is in mortal sin, they should abstain from receiving Holy Communion until they have gone to sacramental confession. That is basic Catholic teaching that somehow we have forgotten. Somehow we have forgotten that if I am in grave sin, if a Christian is in grave sin, they should not receive Holy Communion. To do otherwise, namely to receive Holy Communion while in grave sin, is called the sacrilegious communion. It is an utter betrayal of the Lord and an act, we are told by the spiritual masters, that is worse than the kiss of Judas. It is a heinous offense against the very body of Christ. You might as well come up and just spit on the host or stomp on it, for you do far worse when you receive a sacrilegious communion. Sacrilegious communions are to be avoided at all costs. We do not receive the Lord in an unworthy manner. Every sacrilegious communion further hardens the heart of the person, allowing them more and more to be lost to the grace of God more and more running the possibility that they will not convert and return to the Lord. It just hardens and calluses the heart. St. Paul admonishes the early Christians. He admonishes each of us not to receive the Lord in an unworthy manner. St. Paul goes so far as to say that there are some who are even physically ill because of the effects of a sacrilegious communion. Even their physical health is influenced by the sacrilegious communion. He goes on to say that if we receive Holy Communion in an unworthy manner, we eat and drink condemnation upon ourselves. What is given to us in order to give us life and strength instead becomes a source of condemnation. One spiritual mystic even describing the soul that receives a sacrilegious communion as consuming not the body of Christ, but an actual demon within their own soul. Sacrilegious communions are to be avoided at all costs. The same counsel of St. Paul is given by the church throughout her entire history. While it is true that someone in grave sin needs a sacrament, it is not Holy Communion. The sacrament that they need is confession, and it's healing, regenerative grace in order to bring them back to the life of God. 
For when we are in mortal sin, we are dead. Our souls are dead. We do not receive Holy Communion, for dead people do not eat. It is confession and this work of sanctifying grace that brings us back to life. And then we can approach in order to eat. In the West, dear friends, we have forgotten what it means to receive Holy Communion. We have forgotten about mortal sin. We have forgotten about sanctifying grace. We are told that so many of our young couples today are contracepting. And yet they readily approach in order to receive Holy Communion. Violating the very moral teachings of God. Claiming as their own their sexual powers that actually belong to Christ their King. And then dare to approach in order to receive Holy Communion. That is not our way as Christians. Oh, we see the widespread use of pornography. And how many of our own have fallen prey to that terrible sin. That's a grave sin. And yet we'll still approach in order to receive Holy Communion without first repenting before the Lord. Or how many approach in order to receive Holy Communion who have not shown mercy, refused to show mercy to their family or to their friends. The Lord specifically addresses that and says if you approach the altar and you have unforgiveness in your heart, leave the altar, go, reconcile, and then come. And the list of grave sins continues, dear friends. What about missing Sunday Mass? Do you realize, dear friends, in our tradition that by missing Sunday Mass, it's the equivalent of murder? That you commit a grave sin against God? You were created to worship Him. He is merited by justice our homage. When we purposely absent ourselves from the sacrifice on the Lord's day, we commit a grave sin. We should not receive Holy Communion until we have gone to sacramental confession. That is very severe. And the list goes on. But we have forgotten all this in the West. We have forgotten the privilege that has been given to us in the Lord Jesus in order to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And what it means in order to approach him and to receive Holy Communion. And so for those under my pastoral care, here during the season of Advent at Our Lady of Grace, we will focus on this mystery and this privilege over the season of Advent. We will walk through the four Sundays of Advent emphasizing the unmerited gift given to us in the reception of Holy Communion. We will speak about the proper spiritual dispositions that we must have and the status of our heart that the Holy Communion merits. We will talk about what it means in order to eat the flesh and drink the, son of the, drink the blood of the Son of Man. We will speak and emphasize about what it means to receive Holy Communion. For regrettably in the West we have forgotten these great mysteries. We have compromised and accommodated. We see our fellow believers in Africa and Latin America and Asia humble us by their intense faith. They look upon the West and they ask, what have you done with our faith? Just this past week, I read the story of a young martyr, a young martyr of our faith in Asia, 11 years old. That young Christian would not allow the Blessed Sacrament to be profaned. She went in order to take the reception, to take the Eucharist in order to protect it, and she was beaten to death by the soldiers who thought it was funny. This young martyr gave her life in defense of the Blessed Sacrament. That is the faith of the church. That is what it means to follow the way of Jesus Christ. And again, somewhere along the line in the West, we have forgotten that. We have compromised and lost our devotion. We have turned what should be the highest act of worship into a casual passing of some type of breadline. But not here at Our Lady of Grace. We will address these matters. We will dive into the mystery given to us in Jesus Christ. We will nurture in our hearts a greater devotion 
and what it means to receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. For now, however, let us focus on the state of grace that is necessary to receive Holy Communion. Let's stress the relationship between the confessional and the altar of Holy Communion. And let's place these sacraments within our discipleship. As today we boldly and with heartfelt belief declare, Jesus Christ is Lord. As we celebrate this Eucharist, dear friends, I encourage you, examine your heart. If you are ready and worthy, then approach in order to receive the body and blood of your Lord. If you must, however, first receive another sacrament and receive our Lord's healing, then simply approach for a blessing. Dear friends, your soul is too precious and it is not worth a sacrilegious communion. Simply approach for a blessing. No one is watching. No one cares whether you receive Holy Communion. Do not fall to the vanity and the respectability of this age. Humble yourself before God and receive the sacrament that your soul needs. And at all costs, dear friends, with all your effort and with all your love, make sure that you receive worthy Holy Communions and never use great vigilance, never receive a sacrilegious communion.